You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. My name's Ryan. I serve as a lead pastor. For those of you that are new, I've been out of town the last couple of weeks, been back uh, visiting family and friends uh, back in Arkansas. So I'm kind of like the, the black sheep of the Duck Dynasty family back in, in, uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas. But we went on a big hunting trip, annual hunting trip. We've been doing it for years and years. Show you a picture of my uh, son, Sam. So Sam and I had a great time. Rode in on horsebacks into a big wilderness area. I've been doing it myself for about 25 years. And there's my Duck Dynasty brother, Dave, right there. So big bearded fella, helped me uh, move out here several years ago, and we planted this church uh, together, and then he moved back to Arkansas, built his cabin, and, and calls it good. So uh, it was a lot of fun, had an incredible time, but over the, over the time away, uh, it's given me the opportunity to, to really think and just pray and uh, just be excited to be here with you guys as we're preparing for uh, the Christmas season. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a series called Voices of the Valley. And so you're getting to hear from last week, Tom Schrader. You guys love that guy. Was that fun? Yeah. Tom was a founder, founding pastor of a church called East Valley Bible, now Redemption. He came and preached. And this week, uh, we're so excited. Uh, Dr. Mark Moore is a teaching pastor of a little tiny church down the road called CCV. And so He's going to be teaching this morning. He's a brilliant man. He's gifted. He's a good friend of mine. I've known him for a couple of years now and uh, graduated from uh, Wales and, uh, with his PhD, New Testament scholar, written books. And so he's going to be here this morning to teach. So give him a big North Valley welcome as he comes and leads us. Thank you, my friend. Well, I, I do love your pastor. That, that guy has so much vision and energy. He just makes me feel better about being a Christian every time I'm around him. And I do want you to know that our church loves your church. W- look, we are not a big church. This is a big valley. There are five million people going to a Christless eternity. How dare you say that any church is too big? You're not too big. We need you. And you needed the church down the road. We need each other to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to this world. So thanks for letting me be a guest. I'm honored to be here. Um, Thanksgiving's this week, right? So I want to talk about something that kind of relates to Thanksgiving. Uh, Be honest with me. How many of you are going to share a Thanksgiving meal with some people that you're not sure you even like? Go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, The rest of you are liars. You know it's true. I think it's true for all of us. Uh, Thanksgiving is an interesting season because you start from Thanksgiving, go to the end of the year. It is one of the most powerful spiritual times of the year. A lot of people join a church or go to church. They haven't been there for a long time. A lot of people find faith as they hear about Jesus Christ. The whole Christmas season is powerful. It is also one of the most spiritually dark times of the year. You know, suicides go up in this season. Do you know that one of the greatest times for pornography every year is the day after Thanksgiving? Why do you think that is? Greed goes up this time of the year. Why do you think that is? Because on social media, you see everybody's best life, and you look at your own and you go, that's not fair. When you say, that's not fair, it's just true, it's true. Whenever you say that's not fair, typically you are overestimating what God has given to someone else and underestimating what he's given to you. And I'm going to struggle with it. 
You're going to struggle with it. So let's just put it out on the table. What do you do when God doesn't do what you think he should do? You go to Christmas meal, you're sitting next to Aunt Gertie or Uncle Weirdo, and you're just going, why is this my family? And then you get on Facebook and you see all these other people, their turkey looks better than yours, their wife looks better than yours, their house, and you go, why, God, why? This isn't fair. So I want to tell you a story that Jesus told from Matthew chapter 20. They call it a parable, but go ahead and weave your way to Matthew chapter 20. It's the first book in the New Testament. And while we're getting there, I want to share a story with Ryan about uh, my very first ministry. You can eavesdrop if you want. Uh, my first ministry, a little church in San Antonio, Texas, 65 people. We doubled in attendance to 130. We, we were huge then. Uh, average age was 65 Everything that could be screwed up about a church was true about this church. We could have, should have called it Corinth. I'm not sure. But this church, I, I love those people. And I loved my first ministry, but I felt so isolated. Like nobody knew who I was. And I'm a typical, you know, 23, 24-year-old. I want to make a name for myself. And don't judge me. Because you want to do the same thing, men, when you were 23, 24. Our musicians, you know, they want to sign a record label. And, you know, we want, if we're speakers, we want to be at a conference. I got my first speaking gig about my second year of ministry. I'm probably 25. And it was a little college in Dallas, Texas. They asked me at this Christian college to do a workshop for their student recruiting event. Uh, I can't overemphasize how important I was back then. There were 15 people in a workshop. I did it twice. That was a total of 30. So there you go. I went there thinking, wow, this is, this is awesome. I'm finally like, getting my foot in the door as a speaker. And then I listened to the main speaker. I hate to admit this, but he was better than I was. And then I got to know him, and he was less interesting than I was. Like interpersonally, I, I thought he was kind of a dull. But on stage, I, I'm telling you, he was, he was really, really good. I want to circle back around to that later and tell you why I thought he was dull. You'll kind of get it as the story goes on. As we talked over dinner, I learned that his number one job at the church was preaching. And he would spend 20 hours preaching one message every week. That was his job. Meanwhile, I was doing a Bible class on Sunday morning, a sermon Sunday morning, another sermon Sunday night, and another Bible class Wednesday night. I didn't have 20 hours to give to all those combined. And I was so jealous of him. Like, I, preachers aren't supposed to admit this, I know, but I was green with envy. And I said to God, if I had what he had, I would be as good as he is. Which may not have been righteous, was probably true, but it took me months to get over this envy. I wrestled with this day after day after day for months. Fast forward for five years. I'm not in the church anymore. I'd gotten hired at a little Bible college, New Testament professor, loved it. And I got asked to be a workshop leader, hold your breath here, at the West Texas Teen Convention. Uh, you go ahead and laugh at me if you want, but that was the biggest thing I had ever done. So proud of myself. My colleague and I, we drove to Tulsa, got on a plane, flew there. Driving back from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Exit 18, I-44. That's the Miami exit. Gary, my friend, turned to me and said, have you heard about Gene 
Now, Gene was the guy I'd met years ago. I'd forgot who he was. I kind of wrestled it to the ground. He goes, yeah, he's that preacher in Las Vegas. His church had grown to thousands, one of the earliest and largest mega churches of the day. Man, I was envious. He said, did you hear what happened to him? I didn't want to hear it because, like, I'm still not where he is. He was only a couple years older than me, and I'm thinking all those feelings came back again. If I had what he had, I would be as good as he is. And my friend said, yeah, his wife left him, committed adultery with an elder in their church. And I swear the Holy Spirit showed up in my car. He was like face to face with me, and he asked me this question, do you want his life now? I said, no, sir, I'm good. That's a hard lesson to learn. Because whenever you say that's not fair, you are overestimating what God has given to someone else and underestimating what God has given to you. Now, Gene Apple is now a friend of mine. I've shared this story with him. And he shared his story publicly, so I'm not talking out of turn. Here's what Gene says. My wife committed adultery with an elder, but I committed adultery first with the church. God has salvaged his ministry, and God has given grace in his life, but I wouldn't trade his life for my life for anything. And I want to, I want to talk about that with you if I could. And I want to lean into this little story of Matthew chapter 20, the parable that Jesus told. It, like a lot of stories that Jesus told, it was in direct response to a specific question. I'm going to tell you what that question is. But I have to, I have to take you back to chapter 19. Is that okay? Did I give you enough time to find that passage? Chapter 19, verse 21, or verse 16. Then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, we all know we're saved by grace through faith. There's nothing we can do to earn life. I don't even think that's his question. I think here's his question. Because we think about eternal life as after you die, where do you go? The Jews thought about eternal life as the quality of life, not the quantity of life. He's asking about right here, right now, how can I know God? How can I have intimate fellowship with Yahweh? How can I have a sense of, uh, of release from my guilt? This should be a lesson to all of us. He was rich, he was young, he was a ruler. That's everything that every dude wants. You want to be powerful, you want to be wealthy, you want to be popular and good looking. He was all that, and yet there was a gaping hole in his soul. And if you only evaluate people's lives by Instagram, you're only seeing the highlights of their life, not the true pain that they're in. And some of the richest, best looking, I mean, you've seen it in Hollywood, divorce rates skyrocket. Why? Because you can have everything this world has to offer and nothing that really matters. That's where this guy was. So as a rule, if you're taking notes in your program, we don't have these on the screen, just in the notes, anyone who has everything needs something. Anyone who has everything needs something. You need something, I need something, the rich young ruler needs something. So I asked Jesus, what do I have to do to get that something in my life? And maybe you're asking that question. If you're not now, Thanksgiving and Christmas will probably put it on the front burner for you. How do I get what I really want to have the life that I feel like I deserve? Long story short, uh, Jesus ends the conversation with this rich young ruler with this command. Listen, that you're probably not going to like it. Verse 21, 
if you want to be perfect, and that doesn't mean flawless or morally impeccable, it means complete, mature. If you want your life to be fulfilled, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. Now, as Ryan said, I'm a New Testament professor. I've talked about this passage for years and years and years. I think I discovered something really important this week. I'm gonna share, I can't wait to share it with you. Because I'd always interpreted the passage saying, you got the rich young ruler had a bunch of money, and money is bad. We all know that. Money's bad, gets in the way of you following Jesus. So get rid of your money so you can follow Jesus. Here's the problem. The Bible never says money's bad. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but money itself isn't bad. And I think that money for this man was a blessing, but not how we typically think of it. See, here's just a little rule. It's not in your program, but it's worth writing down. Anytime God gives you anything, it's not because he likes you. It's because he likes someone else. And he wants you to be a conduit for his blessing. See, God doesn't put blessings in buckets. He puts them in funnels. Your money, your wealth, your health, your house, your wife, your kids, everything God has blessed you with is so you can use it as a blessing. And here's what I know that I know that I know. It is better to give than to receive. And the most fulfilled life is not being blessed, but it is blessing. You want the life that everyone else seems to have, then use what you have to be a conduit of generosity into other people's lives. And the rich young ruler, he already had everything he needed to have the life he wanted. The money was not a barrier between him and Jesus. It was an opportunity between him and his community. And by exercising the blessing that God had already given him, he could have the life that he always wanted. And on top of that, he could walk with Jesus then and do it again and again and again. Isn't that good? Here's, just, here's a simple rule. And again, this is, this is in your notes. We are most like God when we give. Maybe you could finish this sentence, for God so loved the world he... Yeah, I thought you knew it. You want to be like God? Eternal life is relationship with God. You, you, want it? you want that? Then become a giver. At the end of the service, Ryan's actually going to come up and give you some really good news about some of you who are great givers and where, where we are as a church at North Valley and how God is blessing this church because you've taken the blessing he's given you and been a conduit and not a bucket. Uh, press pause on that. We'll get to that later. At the end of this, there's a guy sitting in the audience uh, who's just going, wow, why don't, wait a minute. But most people are hearing Jesus going, dude, who says that? Like you come to church and we say, empty out your pockets, give everything you got. That's what you expect in some churches, I suppose. But that, that's what we expect preachers to say. And everyone is around going, uh, excuse me, you expect me to give everything. My house, my wife, my children, my resources, empty out my bank account, give it to the poor. That's what you expect? Whoa, dude, nobody does that. But there's a guy standing there who did that. You know his name? Verse 27, Peter. He raises his hand and says, excuse me, uh, Lord, like, we have left everything to follow you. 
what then will be there for us? In other words, what do I get? And, and, and maybe you're sitting there going, Peter, Peter, come on, grow up. That's not what Jesus says. You know what Jesus said? Pete, you're right. You have given everything and you have followed me. And there is a reward for you. You want to know what it is? Not one, not two, three different rewards. Here's the first one, verse 28. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Whoa, dude. Like, for eternity, Peter is going to be on one of those 12 thrones. And guess what? They're all taken. You can't have one. But the next sentence is for you. Because this applies not just to Peter's audience, but it applies to you. Can I, can I read what the promise is for you? In verse 29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or, or sister or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive, hold your breath, a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. The hundred times as much, that's not after you die. That is right here, right now, and I want to give a witness to that. I left in 1981 my house, my mother, my father, my brothers, my land in California. I moved to follow God's call to go into ministry. I've been chasing that ever since. When I moved to a little place called Joplin, Missouri, I knew one human being in that town. We had a conversation for 10 seconds that year. That's all I knew. Where do I stand today? Because I've given my life to proclaim the gospel. Uh, one of my former students invited me to Vegas on Friday. Flew in, taught part of his staff at his church, flew back. Here's what happened. A guy in my neighborhood group said, you going to Vegas Friday, can I come? Sure, who does that? I had a friend I didn't even know I had who just wanted to go with me, so we went together. He got his ticket late, so he sat in the back of the plane. I was in the front of the plane. He had to go through a longer line at TSA than I did, so I get through TSA. One of the TSA agents comes up to me and says, Pastor Mark, he goes to our church. I didn't know I had a friend in TSA. Everybody wants a friend in TSA. I got one because of what I gave up for Jesus. I get on the plane, and some dude on the plane like, sits right in front of me. We're loading the plane, and he just sits right in front of me. He goes, Pastor Mark, we used to go to your church. I moved to Knoxville. We love you guys. We follow you all the time online. I've got a friend in Knoxville. Didn't know. He said, if you're ever in Knoxville, come stay at my house. I got a house in Knoxville. <laughs> then I get to Vegas. My friend is in Vegas. I, I never have to get, get a hotel in Vegas. I never have to get a hotel in Vegas. I got a friend. And now I have 40 more friends because I taught him and now I'm teaching his students. So I got all kinds of places to stay in Vegas. Come with me. We'll have a blast. I'm coming back home. Another dude, I get off the plane. Another dude, Pastor Mark. I've got friends everywhere. I don't even know about why. Because when you give your life, give up your house, give up your land, give up your family, God will multiply that 100. That's not 100%. That is 100-fold. That is 10 thousand percent interest. You would be stupid not to make that investment. I don't care what the area is. Capiche? But then we get eternal life.
forever and ever and ever with God in heaven. That is not a bad return on your investment. So let me say this simply. It's in your notes. God's generosity exceeds our sacrifice every single time. A buddy of mine and I were golfing the other day, and I just learned about his story. When he had nothing, he only had $10. He gave a dollar. And because of that, God literally grew his business, and he had $100. And he goes, this works out really well. So he just is in a race of giving because the more he gives, the more God blesses him. He said, I would be stupid not to do that. If this passage is true, then we should be great givers. So here's the story. Did I give you enough time to get there? The last verse of chapter 19 says this, and it really kind of sets up this parable. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. If you Go to the tail end of the story, verse 16, chapter 20. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Maybe you didn't notice that because those phrases are in two different chapters, but these are the bookends of the story. Let me tell you the story. I'll paraphrase. There was a farmer who had a bumper crop. Amazing. He doesn't have enough hired hands to bring it in before the weather comes. So he frenetically, farmers do this every year. They they hire people just for the harvest, right? So if this was in Nogales, you would go to the Home Depot, go to the backside of Home Depot. There's day laborers waiting to work. So he goes and gets a truckload of workers, 6 a.m., and says, you want to work? I will pay you a day's wage. They called it a denarius. And they go, that's fair price. We'll go work. So he takes him in his truck to his fields. Several hours later, he's doing the math. How many rows have they covered? I mean, they're bringing in a bumper crop. And he goes, we're not going to get done. I need, I need more hands. So he goes back to Home Depot, gets another load of guys, and brings about at 9 a.m. They're not going to work the same number of hours. So he simply says, I'll pay you a fair wage for your work. Fine. He, at about noon, he's going, counting the rows, counting the guys. I need more guys. Another round at noon, another round at three, another round at 5 p.m. Sun goes down at six, one hour to work. And he says, I'll pay you what's fair. And they go, fine, we'll go to work. We need work. So they go out there and work. Remember how the parable started? Remember how it ended? First will be last, last will be first. The guys who started the day were the last to get paid. The guys who ended the day, they worked one hour, they first in line. And they come up to the, the foreman and he says, here you go. He hands them, anyone want to guess? A denarius. Like, you should have been there. They were giddy. A denarius? Like, you're giving us a whole day's pay for one hour? This is awesome. They are delighted. The guys that worked at three, they get a denarius. Still pretty delighted. The guys at noon, they start to figure, wait a minute. We work twice as long as those guys. They got a denarius. I bet you we're going to get two. You know what they got? A denarius. 9 a.m., a denarius. The guys who work 12 hours, they're coming up. They are livid. How dare you give us to denarius that you gave to the guys who only worked one hour? Here's their exact verbiage in Jesus' story. Uh, Verse 11, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour they said, and you have made them equal to us. And we would paraphrase it. That's not 
fair. You made them equal to us, they said, and you who have borne the burden of the work of the heat of the day. Now, how do you think the farmer's going to respond? Not well, I'm afraid. Probably about like God responds to us when we go, God, that's not fair. Does it answer a question for me? Now, I'm not, I don't want to bust you. I'm going to guess that'd be rude. But let me just ask you, in your house, who is it that says that's not fair? The children or the parents? It's the children. It is an immature attitude to say that's not fair because whenever we say that's not fair, we are overestimating what they gave to another and underestimating what they gave to us. Here's how I settled it when my daughter, uh, when she was a little child, she came to me and said, that's not fair. How come Josh gets to do that and I don't? And I responded, this is a quote, because I like him better. (laughs) It is a ridiculous response to a ridiculous question. Here is the landowner's response. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. And friend is more like buddy, not real friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? So what's your problem? Take your pay and go. I want to give to one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? That is a huge observation. So the last will be first and the first last. So let me ask you a question. Is God fair? Answer, no. God doesn't even try to be fair. God is not fair. God is generous. And you look all over this world, you see indications of that. But God has never distributed, as near as I can tell, could be wrong, but as near as I can tell, God has never distributed his blessings unilaterally. Can I give you a simple illustration? You'll all get this because we live in a desert, right? You know how many inches of rain we get in Phoenix? Seven. Seven inches a year. That's why it's a desert. And yet, was there anyone here, just raise your hand, anyone here who went thirsty yesterday because you ran out of water? No? Is there anyone here who couldn't bathe this week because you ran out of water? Anyone here doesn't have water enough to wash your clothes or to wash your car? Why do we have sufficient water in this desert? Because it snows in the mountains. It rains up there and rivers bring it down and lakes hold it for us and aquifers collect it. That is God's economy with literally everything in this world. Do you realize there is not enough food in the world to feed all the people of the world. There is enough food in America to feed the entire world. It's not distributed equally. Why? This is actually brilliant. But I need to tell you my last story. I went over to my daughter's house. She now has two children, so I'm a grandfather. I know, shocking that a 25-year-old would look like this, but I'm, I'm, I'm with my grandkids, and they were playing with a toy, I, like, I'm so jealous of my grandkids. They had way cooler toys than I ever had. It's just not fair. So there's this, 
that was really funny if you think about it. There was this little toy that you drop these balls in it and it shoots the ball up. There's kind of soft balls and you can swing the bat. Now, one of my grandsons is four. The other one is two. You know who this belongs to? The two-year-old. He doesn't even know how to use it. Like he was standing over it. Like he's got a, he doesn't have a bat. He's using a little golf club, which is, that tells you something right there. But he's standing over it and it shoots up, hits him in the head and just ricochets. Like it's hilarious. I would pay to see that. So boom. But the older one, he can actually use it. And he's going, it's my turn. It's my turn. It's my turn. And he's going, no, it's mine. The advantage of being a grandparent, I didn't know this till I became a grandparent very recently, but the advantage of being a grandparent is you don't know whose toys belong to who. Like parents know, because they're trying to settle World War III here, that's yours, that's his. I don't know and I don't care. You know why? I'm not interested in being even with my grandkids. I'm interested in developing their character. And it is way more important to me as papa that they share, then that they're fair. Because if they share, then they will grow up to be decent human beings, good husbands, and good fathers. God has done something in our world that forces us into community where we are dependent upon one another. So men need women, and women need men. And adults need children, and children need parents. And musicians uh, need organizers and leaders, and leaders need musicians, and elders need the younger. Do, do you understand? The Holy Spirit distributed his gifts unevenly in this church so that all of you would be dependent on all of you. Isn't that good? And so how do we respond to that? It is by becoming a good giver. God is not fair. He's generous. The last thing I want to say is that the problem of poverty in our world is not God's provision, but human distribution. The problem with poverty in this world is not God's provision, but human distribution. And I promise you, I'm not thinking right now about the environment. I'm not thinking about social services, although there's application there. Here's what I'm thinking about. There are five million lost people in this valley. They're heading to a Christ, Christless eternity. And we in this room have the greatest treasure of humanity. Peter's standing there and he's hearing what Jesus is saying. And he's thinking about silver and gold and thrones and houses and lands. But as Peter matured, this is one of the last letters he ever wrote to a church. Listen to what Peter is thinking about sharing. Because this is what I want you to think about sharing. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. What people in this valley need is a good church home. You have one. What people in this valley need is the saving message of the grace of Jesus Christ, and you know that. Ryan does not expect you to go out and preach the gospel. He will do that next Sunday from this stage. What he expects you to do is to share what you know with those 
who don't know what you know. Do you realize that 60% of all unchurched people, 60% of all unchurched people plan to return to church someday? And your invitation is the catalyst to bring them here. People are not opposed in this valley to church. People are ignorant of the church. And what you have is a simple invite. And I want to tell you next week, this man that you know and love and respect is going to start a series on Jesus Christ who you know and love and respect. And your neighbors, your friends, your family would be proud to be a part of what's going to take place. And maybe they can't come next week. You know, I bet when they would come, the easiest invite to any church all year, the easiest invite to every church all year is a Christmas Eve service. And you are going to have one right here for the first time in the history of your church. God is not fair. He's generous. And if you really want to have eternal life, the kind of life, the quality of life that this rich young ruler lusted for, all you have to do is give away what God has given to you by bringing a guest next week. So I want to ask you this. The takeaway is simple. Share your faith. And I want you to write a name in, next to that blank of a person that you would vow to God to bring to faith. Let's pray. Holy Father, I thank you that you've done such a good work in North Valley Church. And that there is a home, there's a place, there's a physical geography to bring friends and family to. May we fill this room, not only with our praises, but with people that would bring praise to God thus giving you back a hundredfold for all you have given to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give Mark a round of applause for that. Thanks. Really, really cool. Hey, um, you know, one of the key verses that stuck out to me was when he talked about in Matthew nineteen twenty nine when the disciples, it was Peter, said, hey, we left everything for you, Jesus. And Jesus responded and, and talked about that hundredfold blessing and eternal life. And, you know, when I was back in Arkansas, for those of you that have been around a while, our story is that we moved out and we left uh, an inheritance of land and, um, and then moved out here. And then we later sold all that land and that ranch back in Arkansas and gave it to the church uh, so that we could have this campus. And many others uh, followed in that sacrificial giving as well. And I will say that with all sincerity, as I was walking through the pastures and the fields where my property was supposed to be, and my brother's property is there, and they built their cabin, and my younger brother built their cabin, and it was awesome. It's fun. It's a lot of fun to be there because the whole family's around on this big branch. And I'm sitting there, and that hundred times blessing is my heart is filled with joy because I have a a church family in Arizona that I have been at their weddings. I've been at the memorial services. I've been there when the day they professed faith in Christ. I was there at the baptism. I was there at the baby dedication. And seeing a family and a community coming together has been the most powerful, rewarding experience ever. And uh, it's a hundredfold blessing. And so I echo that and just say, man, uh, I dare you to trust God in, in the life journey that he's calling you to. Um, sharing your faith. Yeah, 60% of people, unchurched, 
or 60% of people are expecting and wanting to come to church. They just need to be invited. Uh, I just encourage you to think about that. September 10th, we did our grand opening. Uh, So I want to kind of give you a kind of a family update, church family update. If you're new here, uh, you get a kind of a sneak peek preview as to kind of what's happening a little bit in the life of the church. A couple big updates I want to give you. One is a financial update. Two is uh, elder nomination uh, for here at the church. The first one is on the financial update. Right around grand opening season, I came to you guys right right before September, and I said, hey, two big projects I'd really like to tackle. It's not in our budget, uh, but we need a significant amount of capital for campus development. So you've got an envelope right there in front of your seat if you want to look at it. There's kind of several giving pockets here at our church. There's a hope offering that goes towards local and global mission. There's a general fund, mercy, campus development. And I asked you guys if you guys would give so we could purchase some playgrounds. I asked if you guys would give extra so we could um, clean up the campus, renovate several things, and open up the campus really well. And all of you guys did that. So the praise report is this. That we had enough money. We did a lot of financial review. We have a, a great finance team now in place. We have the auditor of Deer Valley Unified School District on our team. Uh, we have an accountant on our team, Dr. Bill Yarger on our team, myself and Jonathan on the finance team. And they gave me the report as I came back in late this week. And they said, Ryan, praise God, we have enough money. So the kids are going to be able to get their second playground before Christmas. So take a look at that picture and celebrate with me on that. Yeah, those things are not cheap, okay? Those things are not cheap. Uh, and so we're, we're going to try to be putting that together uh, probably uh, after the new year, unless some of you just say, you know what, I can, I'm an expert playground builder and I'll put that thing together before Christmas. I dare you guys. Anybody want to do that, that'd be awesome. Uh, but we, we are excited about that news report uh, with North Valley. The second thing is just as kind of how things fared quarter one, quarter two for our church. Our, our ministry year really starts June. So June, July, and August is kind of our first quarter. Uh, and then we have September, October, and November. It would be our second ministry year quarter. Let me ask you, when you got your bills in June, July, and August, it's really hot. Your utility bills, my guess is, is pretty high. Uh, we, we've never been on this campus before, so our best estimation of a budget wasn't very good. So our utility cost was really, really high, so that means our operational costs were a lot higher than we anticipated. And on top of that, what happened was many of you guys were really generous and gave towards the campus development. Meanwhile, the general operating budget was kind of lagging behind. And so, meaning what happens a lot of times is when we make an initiative like the playgrounds, and that was my idea. So, kids, I love you. Parents, I, was, I, I wanted to get it for the kids. And, but what happens is, is, is sometimes people decide, well, I'm not going to give at the campus, or I'm not going to give in the general fund. I'll give to the kids because everybody loves to give to, towards kids. And so, it caused our general operations budget to, to fall behind significantly. And so, we just said, you know what? We're going to pray and trust God and move forward. We're still going to get that p- playground. So, here's my encouragement to you is as you're preparing, you're going to get lots of invitations to give between now and, and the new year and even beyond the new year. My encouragement is give the lion's share of your giving to the place of your worship. If it's not North Valley, go wherever that church is, wherever that place is, that's, that ought to be the first priority in your giving. 
For us at North Valley, my encouragement is invest generously here. And the area I'm asking you to invest in is the general fund. I know it doesn't sound cool, but it pays for all the supplies that we use on a Sunday morning. It covers our facility. 100% of our custodial is volunteers. You get, Many of you guys are doing that. Our custodial team, volunteers. I mean, we're a lean and mean budget machine is what we are right now. But the general fund is incredibly important. You're going to get an email. Those of you that call North Valley Home, you'll get an email from me uh, tomorrow. And then we'll snail mail a letter out as well. Um, at, at grand opening, we got to celebrate 25 individuals, predominantly men and women, uh, and some children, placed their faith in Christ and were baptized. And we had such a, an, a huge uh, kickoff this fall. And that's what you're investing into, a life-giving, Christ-centered, regional church in the North Valley. And I want to encourage you to, to do that with me as you prepare for this Christmas season. Maybe there's a bonus. Maybe there's an extra provision that comes along. Just evaluate that and then pray with us towards that. And then come Christmas Eve, we're going to give 100% of our offering. We're going in faith again towards our hope offering. We've identified a, uh, a group home in the Deer Valley Unified School District that feeds many of our elementary schools, and we want to give resources away to invest into those children, many of the children that are in foster care or in the, or, or the, the what, equivalence of an orphan uh, would, be, uh, would be in those group homes. We're going to come alongside those in the new year, asking for mentors, men and women, to help these children right here in our schools. So we're, we're going in faith towards that hope offering. We give 100% of that away uh, on Christmas Eve towards local and global mission initiatives. But I'm asking you as a church, those of you that call North Valley home, make your general giving your greatest priority to help us. Just like any family has a budget, we've got a budget. So... With that being said, um, last but not least, I want to, um, uh, well, two other things. The, the other thing is, as we're preparing for Christmas Eve, um, Dr. Moore did a great job, and he talked about the importance of inviting unchurched people to that service. I want to encourage you, maybe you wrote the name down, maybe you didn't, but I want to encourage you to do that before you leave if you haven't, and then join me on December 10th, if you will, for a night of prayer and worship. And it's a time where we pray for those who are, do not know Jesus Christ to come to know Jesus Christ. That's exactly what we did at the grand opening. We had 35 people make a decision for Jesus Christ on that day. And I'm telling you, when we pray, God does great work ahead of time. Um, I, I saw a young man stand up, walk down the aisle. He, got, he came to faith in Christ that Sunday. His mom and his dad chased him down the aisle. They couldn't believe he was getting ready to be baptized, that he had placed his faith in Christ, and they were so excited, and now he's a part, vital part of our youth ministry. Um, so I want to encourage you to join me and then Josh as we lead in a time of prayer and worship at 6 p.m. on December 10th, and that's in your program. And then last but not least, uh, as we've been moving ahead as a church, our church has grown, it has exceeded the staff's ability, and we need more leaders, and we, as a staff team and an elder team, have appointed uh, a, an additional elder, or we have nominated, I'll say, let me correct that, nominated an elder here in our church, Andy Branch, 
is uh, we've, we're asking you guys to pray with us for this family right here, the incredible shepherd, neighborhood group leaders, serving our kids' programs, administrative uh, services. They do a ton. And uh, Andy is an incredible shepherding uh, pastoral leader, a business uh, guy here in the valley, and uh, loves the church. And so I'm asking you, those of you who've gone through Class 101 as members to uh, I want I'm gonna I'm I'm nominating him as an elder along with the other elders and the staff team and we're saying we believe this is the guy that would serve our church really well. Uh, Andy's got a big heart for seeing the our church reach the North Valley for Jesus Christ and at the same time developing and discipling and maturing all the, all of us uh, as believers as well. So. That's that. In 30 days, I'm going to come back before you, and I'm going to say, uh, those of you that are members of the church, I'm asking for your affirmation of Andy as an elder, or if for some reason you don't think he's fit to be an elder, um, I would make sure, encourage you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 as the qualifications of elders, and uh, it, then you can say, hey, I don't think he should be an elder, and I'll just say, great, I want to talk to you, tell me why. And uh, ultimately, you guys as members really affirm that for us, and then he will be confirmed as an elder here in our church. So I love Andy. I think he's an incredible asset to this church and will continue to be. Uh, Dr. Deal, who serves as an elder as well, has really spoken, has gotten to know him. He's, Andy has been sitting in on our elder meetings uh, for the last six months or so, and, is, and he's just a marvelous person. So with that being said, I want to um, invite Dr. Deal up. Uh, to lead us in communion. But let me pray and give thanks for what God's doing here in our church. Heavenly Father, thank you today for all that you're doing here at North Valley. Lord, thank you for the Branch family. They have been a full-service family ministry here in this community. God, thank you for giving um, the capacity for so many families to invest generously into this church and we redeem a wedding venue. We redeem a bar and turn it into a Sunday school classroom. And we redeem this property for the name and the fame of Jesus. So when the 91,000 people drive by every single day on I-17, God, there's a glimmer of hope. There's a ray of, of your love shining through. We pray, God, use our church in the decades to come ahead of us for the generation to generations to share and show the love of Jesus Christ to the North Valley at large. We love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the people. Thank you for the service, all that you're doing. Continue to multiply our gifts as we serve and give. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.